America Day. And as the author of a book that will be out next week, I'm obligated to tell you that I am the author of a book that will be out next week. But since you can't read my book today because it isn't out yet, then I want to talk about, and what I think is way more interesting to talk about anyway, is why not read a strange book of mysterious origin on Read Across America Day? If you're gonna read any book today, read a really fucking weird book that you would not normally read otherwise because you probably didn't know about it. That book is the Urantia book, which is sometimes referred to as the Urantia Papers or alternatively the Fifth Apocal Revolution. It's a spiritual tome that appeared in Chicago sometime between 1924 and 1955, although by all accounts it was probably penned sometime around 1911, and the story of its penmanship is actually a little bit creepy. So Urantia herein and henceforth is meant to be synonymous with Earth. It is like the name of the Earth. The intent of the papers, or at least stated, was to be kind of something like the Bible. It was, quote, presenting enlarged concepts and advanced truth. And it did this by combining or attempting to combine religion, philosophy, and science. So its followers believed that it was penned by celestial beings, but they achieved this by, of course, as is often the case with these types of texts, uh, sending their message through a chosen human and then penned it in this, like, vaguely paranormal, automatic writing kind of situation. So in terms of content. It actually does kind of talk about like Jesus and God in the sort of sense of Christianity. I mean, it's it's mentioned as in those beings and people, but not in the same way that it is in like traditional Christian texts. But beyond that, it's just kind of a means to an end to discuss like the broader issues of like the meaning of life. But where did it come from? So back up way, way far and go back to Chicago circa nearly 1920s. So a pair of physicians, well-respected physicians at the time were on the lecture circuit. And this was William and Lena Sadler. Now Lena Sadler did a lot of the women's health movement. She was an obstetrician gynecologist and William Sadler, her husband, was also a very highly respected surgeon. Now, the thing about William Sadler, though, is that he actually fancied himself more of a psychiatrist, although he was only self-educated in that regard. And really, he ended up devoting the most of his career to debunking the paranormal because he was also a physician who kind of dabbled in the unexplained. He was called to look in on a case where a patient had been basically in this, like, really intense trance. Now, when he would talk about the cases that he had debunked, he would write them up and be like, okay, I proved this one wrong. This was the one case that he, his whole life, was like, I don't really have an explanation for this. Now, here's a man who, like, prided himself on being like, I'm gonna screw up your paranormal theory. I'm gonna debunk this shit. He did not have an answer for this. And what he discovered upon responding to the call to see this patient was that this man was in this deep trance. And what would happen is that he would get into this trance, like, in the middle of the night, and then he would, like, scribble all of these weird writings. And it was like pages and pages and pages. This was on for like half a year. And so William Sadler would go and like observe him, you know, this man being like basically unconscious, but also writing as if driven by an unseen paranormal force. Now, according to this man, who we never got the identity of because they never revealed his identity, it really did feel like he was possessed by some force or something. Not only did he not have any 
memory of jotting all of these notes down, a lot of them didn't make sense. The ones that did make sense were totally contrary to what his personal beliefs were, to the point where it was actually really unsettling. So Sadler was in the habit of having these philosophical meetings at his house, and he started bringing this case in. And the reason that he did was because this group was like called the Forum, and it was kind of some secret Illuminati bullshit. Like they weren't allowed to talk about what happened outside of the group. So there were maybe like 30 people all told in this group. And they were the only people who ever really knew any details about this case. And so Sadler was like, look, there are these philosophical teachings that appear like throughout these papers as broader theme. And so there's some stuff in here that is really solid and has some context that we know about. There's also some science that kind of has some context that we know about. Now, if you look at it in modern times, it's very reflective of like what people knew at that time. So it wasn't like they were saying anything that people at that point in history didn't kind of know. It was just that how everything kind of came together and that there was just so fucking much of it. Led by the Sadlers, this group began trying to assemble them into a coherent-ish text. And this played out over the course of several decades. And then ultimately the whole volume was published in 1955. Now only a very small handful of people had ever actually met or observed the sleeping subject who provided these papers. And in fact, everybody with that knowledge being long dead and having taken the secret of this man's identity to their grave, we still do not know anything about who actually contributed these papers, like who this man was who had been possessed by this force, which really um, lends itself to the theory that this was just a truly elaborate hoax. And really, it was a truly elaborate hoax if it was a hoax, because there are people who follow this and they have for years they have like followers of this belief system of this text which is 2,000 pages long so that's a huge commitment like if you're gonna come up with some weird unexplained text it doesn't have to be that long right I mean like, I don't even like all these other like unexplained texts that we have I mean I don't think any of them are like 2,000 pages long so that was pretty impressive but anyway this whole text is actually uh, as of 10 years ago when the copyright to it lapsed is in the public domain now so you could technically if you wanted to go through it and have a look at some of its contents. It's actually divided up into four parts. The first is uh, the central and super universes, which sort of talks about the spectrum of where the universal being or the god being like fits in. The local universe is part two, which is more like, here's the part of the universe where we are. And then part three is sort of where they start talking about things that you might see otherwise explained by the Bible. So they talk, and they actually do talk about some things that are expressly uh, in the Bible. Also, the story of Adam and Eve, evolution, the origin, the destiny of the world, things like that. And then the largest piece is actually the end part, which is the whole life and teachings of Jesus told through this lens. So that's kind of how it is divided up. What's really interesting, though, is that, like I said, there are people who still follow the teachings of this book, even today, even though they don't know who wrote it or where it came from. And there's also this kind of weird thing where a bunch of really famous rock and roll artists had some kind of connection to it like Jimi Hendrix purportedly had a copy that he took with him everywhere and he would talk about it pretty regularly. Um, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Jerry Garcia are both people who talk about it or who have talked about it in the past and who have passages from it like you know tacked up on their tour bus. And so if you want to celebrate Read Across America Day with something challenging, I'm guessing since this is now in the public domain, all 2,000 some pages of it, you could probably find it online, uh, albeit as a very large PDF.